Well, good morning. morning. So good to be with you all as we worship the Lord here at Good Shepherd. Um, Some of you out there have no idea who I am. Uh, It's been far too long since I have been here, and so some of you may not know me. Uh, My name is Andrew Rowell. I am the rector of Christ Church down in Montgomery, Alabama, and that is the church that planted the Good Shepherd so many years ago. And I'm also the dean of the Western Deanery of the Gulf Atlantic Diocese, so I am your dean. And in those two roles this morning, I want to give a little bit of history before we press on to God's Word. Now, some of you sitting here know this history like the back of your hand. Um, Others of you might not know any of this history at all. But I was called to be rector of Christ Church back in 2015. And at that point, Good Shepherd was more of a satellite campus of Christ Church than really a church plant. Christ Church used to send a priest up here every Sunday to preach and to celebrate, but no one was here in town day by day to serve as your priest and as your shepherd. Now, just before I became rector in 2015, my predecessor called um, a man named Timothy Ullman to serve as the vicar of Good Shepherd. And at that point, you were no longer a satellite campus of Christ Church, but a real plant, a mission of your mother church, Christ Church. And during that season, I was technically your rector. And Father Timothy was serving under me. You didn't have a vestry yet. Rather, Good Shepherd had a mission council. And the vestry of Christ Church was your vestry. Well, Father Timothy didn't serve here for very long. Things called him away from Auburn. And I, as your rector, was excited to begin a search for a bright, energetic, young, and loving priest to build Good Shepherd into a parish. And by God's grace, I found just such a priest, a man whom I deeply respect and love, Father Ben Jeffries, who met you and y'all called him. And we celebrated the fact that this man with joy and seemingly bottomless excitement was happy to receive the call to be the second vicar of Good Shepherd. And over the past few years, Father Ben has clearly been ordained to do this good work. The Lord quickly added to your number, and it was more rapidly than I could have ever expected to happen. You grew to the point that you were no longer a tiny little plant of church, uh, church plant of Christ Church, but rather a vibrant and independent church of your own, large enough and healthy enough to go out on your own. In November of 2019, you were warmly received by the Gulf Atlantic Diocese as a full-functioning parish, a status you still hold today. And Father Ben was no longer a vicar serving under me, but rather now my brother rector. And since then, God has been up to much in your midst. You've moved into this new space, which I think is far um, better positioned for mission and outreach and growth. You've started planning for your future. You've got designs for a building and the hope to one day acquire land. And then, um, because we know that this is just the way things happen, you hit a proverbial bump in the road. The pandemic hit, which has just changed everything for all of us. I was remarking this morning that I had to remember how to do some of these things before a real altar because we've been outside in our parking lot for the past six months at Christ Church. Um, And as if the fear and the masks and the chaos and the uncertainty of the pandemic were not enough, our nation was rocked by a fresh wind of racial unrest. 
And of course, Good Shepherd has been particularly hit by this latest issue as half your parish has stormed out in disagreement with Father Ben over how Christians are supposed to respond to the biblical mandate to seek justice for the oppressed. Now let me close this review of history with a word of encouragement for you because I, as your former rector and your dean, speak for the people of Christ Church when I say that we stand in solidarity with the people of Good Shepherd. I fully believe in every one of you and we believe in your future as a parish. I believe deeply in the leadership of Father Ben and I am deeply, deeply sorry that this parish has been divided over things about which Christians should be able to disagree while still living in harmony with one another. But I don't believe the future is any less bright for Good Shepherd, and I stand ready to help you in any way that I can. You and your leader are in my prayers every day, I assure you, and I am fully confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in his good time. You are the people of Good Shepherd, and I love you, and I believe you've been called together to love one another in the name of the Good Shepherd, no matter what, and to share that love with the people in Auburn and Opelika who need to see the love of Christ more desperately now than perhaps any other time in any of our lifetimes. So, as we turn to God's Word this morning, I want us to hear in both that reading from Jonah and our Gospel reading this morning, a call to love those around us because the Lord loves those around us. And we learn about what it means to love others today from Scripture, from negative examples. Scripture shows us what life looks like when we fail to love those around us with the love that's been showered on us by God, when we selfishly cling to our blessings and resist God's call to share those blessings with those around us. And the most brutal example of this comes from this morning's lesson from Jonah. We find Jonah, the reluctant prophet, openly disgusted that God had shown mercy to the people of Nineveh. Well, Ellison, you all know this story well. We all grew up um, watching felt-board whales eat felt-board Jonahs, right? But the book of Jonah is weird. It is an odd book in Scripture because the last person in the world that you want to be like is Jonah. He is not a felt-board hero, but rather he is the opposite of the kind of people that we want to be as those transformed by God. God called Jonah to bring the good news of God's love and mercy to the people of Nineveh, but Jonah hates Ninevites. The people of Nineveh were another race. They were another religion. They were another nation. And thus, from his perspective, they were worthy of being despised. But God had communicated with clarity to Jonah that he loved Ninevites, that God longed for their repentance, that he wished to reveal to these pagans his identity as the one true God who made them and longed for their transformation by his grace. And God was going to convey all of this urgent information to Nineveh through Jonah. And Jonah said, what? No, thank you. I have no interest in this job whatsoever. So Jonah leaves on a fast ship going in the opposite direction. And God sends a storm to pull him back. 
And a bunch of pagan sailors come to him and say, will you pray to your God? Because we're all about to go down. And Jonah refuses to pray. He would rather opt to commit suicide by having those pagan sailors throw him off the ship. Jonah knew that that God had sent that storm and that it would cease when he was dead on the bottom of the ocean. He preferred death to obedience. May that never be so for us. When Jonah is spat out by the whale that God sent to save him and finally gets to Nineveh, he reluctantly begins to preach in the streets. And lo and behold, guess what? God was right all along. His preaching was incredibly fruitful in a miracle reversal of everything that you might have expected. Every Ninevite from the king on down sits in ashes and wears sackcloth and repents and fasts and asks for God's mercy. This is the point of the book of Jonah, that that revelation of God's mercy is not just for you and it's not just for me. It's for the whole world, Jew and Ninevite alike. This is the great gospel truth that we see most vividly in Jesus. But here it is, 750 years before the birth of God in the flesh. Today, in this reading from Jonah, we are reminded to love others by Jonah's negative example. Jonah makes us mourn to see that a successful prophet can still be an ardent bigot. We mourn to see that one of God's own preachers would resent God for his character of love and mercy and steadfastness towards his creation, especially when it's directed towards the enemy. We mourn to see that the vision of God's love presented to Jonah would cause him to want to die rather than live in a world where God might bless someone of another race or tribe. Today's gospel lesson sounds a similar theme. The laborers who'd worked all day receive what they were owed. They receive a denarius, a day's wages. But they were bitter with those who had just worked a few hours when they saw them blessed with the same pay. Rather than rejoice at the good, the good fortune of another, they clung to their rights. They, they had that Protestant work ethic, right? That sense of justice. I deserve more than that guy. They begrudged the master the right to shower someone else with wonderful generosity. So God asked Jonah this morning, do you do well to be angry that I love someone as much as I love you? And Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jesus asks us, do we rejoice when we see others receiving blessings? Jonah knows the answer to that question. No, I don't like it. Are those our answers? The world around us feels no shame in giving those answers. We live in a deeply polarized world. We have been taught by the secular culture that we have the right to revile those around us if they disagree with us. That's what identity politics is all about. The level of vitriol and bitterness in our political discourse right now should shame us and shock us because we need to be asking God to show us a better way. For while we might not all agree about the vital things about the future of this country, can we not still heed the call to love one another despite our political divides? 
These are, there are some political matters that go to the very heart of who we are as Christians and as a church community. We will stand for those things boldly. We will always be a church that stands for life. We will always be a church that stands for justice for the oppressed. But we will not hate those that are on the other side of these matters because we will be failing to live up to our role as the church of God. Those who know that our true allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven, which is not going to change, which is utterly unshakable, and that God's desire is for the redemption of the whole world, even those on the other side of our political aisles. And if that's God's desire, then that must be our desire as well. Jesus tells us repeatedly to pray for our enemies and to bless those who persecute us. Does it not seem to you that we forget that immediately the moment we walk out of our church doors? In today's parable, Jesus adds a valuable corollary. Stop thinking that God's grace is a limited resource. It's not. He desires to shower his grace on the whole world and to use us just like he used Jonah to spread the news of that love. And yet how often do we find ourselves clinging to what is our own, what we deserve, rather than asking ourselves constantly, how might we act in love in every single thing that we do? If we could somehow relearn this lesson, learn how to speak the truth in love, to pray with those with whom we have sincere disagreements, and to trust that God's in control, that he's working behind the scenes to make all of these things work out in his good time. Because he, what does he promise us? That he's making all things new. How quickly do we feel like we doubt that when we get near a November election moment? That we have to fix these things. No, God says, I'm making all things new. We as Christians should be bold in telling the truth. And yet also trust that God has not abandoned us. I've been struck these last few days with this story that keeps popping up in all of our feeds about the deep love and affection that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had with Justice Scalia, how deeply bonded they were together as friends. Now, you could not imagine two people on opposite sides of the political world, their interpretation of the Constitution were radically headbutting in every opinion, and yet they had New Year's Eve together every single year. They took family vacations together. You would have thought these would have been sworn enemies. And yet, this powerfully Jewish woman and this deeply faithful Christian man were friends because they loved one another and they respected one another. What a testament it would be to the world around us to remember the character of our God by watching us, who are quick to speak the truth, but just as quick to express our love for the others, even if they don't agree with the truth of God, the truth by which all other truth claims must be measured. I would love to see repentance on both sides of the aisle in this country, because I know that God has shown me mercy. I wish that he would show mercy to all people, and I know that is his will. If I get into the habit of praying for my enemies, you know what I find quickly? that they aren't my enemies anymore, that the object of my fervent prayers to God, because I'll find that they're just wayward humans 
who need to know the truth of God and His love and His mercy and His grace just like me. Let me close this morning by restating the words of our colic for the day. Lord, you've taught us that without love, all of our deeds are worthless. Think about that for a minute. Without love, everything you do is chaff, blown away in the wind, worthless. But God, we want you to fill up our spirits with love. Pour your Holy Spirit into our heart so that we might, everything that we do might be expressed as charity towards the fallen world around us. Give us love towards those who are our own Ninevites, those who we think are getting more than their fair share. Fill us up with your Spirit that we might know the true bond of peace, something that the people of Good Shepherd desperately need to know right now. Peace. God's got this. He's in control. His good work in you is not done yet by any stretch of the imagination. And that that peace and love might keep us bound together, even in these deeply divided days. Because that prayer said that if we don't know love, what are we? We're dead. And we don't want to be dead. We want to be alive to Christ. We want to be alive for Christ that the world might see us as the very life of God about God's business in the world because we are the loving people of the Good Shepherd. Amen? Amen. Please stand with me as we affirm our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For 